Welcome to Trinity on Tap, the New Testament, a podcast series brought to you by Trinity College Queensland, presented by Dr. John Frederick. Welcome to Trinity on Tap 2.3, the ridiculousness of the resurrection. Let's hear the word of God together from 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 through 10. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come, whom he raised from the dead. What do we do with the resurrection these days? I hear this question all the time from ministers, congregants, people who are just generally curious. What do we do with this claim that Jesus rose in a transformed but material, physical body from the grave, defeating death as the firstborn of all creation? All of us who will rise someday in the end times in transformed, incorruptible bodies. What do we do with that? Do we attempt to demythologize it? Uh, To interpret it as some sort of claim about going to heaven when we die? Was this a spiritual resurrection in which Jesus was a ghost? What did the early church and the authors of the New Testament mean when they said that Jesus was raised from the dead? Is it possible, as John Dominic Crossan has argued, that Jesus was actually buried in a shallow grave and likely eaten by wild dogs instead of rising physically from the dead? Or, as Marcus Borg has argued, is it possible that, quote, the truth of Easter really has nothing to do with whether the tomb was empty on a particular morning 2,000 years ago, or whether anything happened to the corpse of Jesus, end quote. He continues, quote, I see the truth of Easter, as grounded in the Christian experience of Jesus as a living spiritual reality of the present, end quote. These are important questions because, let's face it, the resurrection of Jesus has been at the heart of the historic Christian faith. And this is so from the earliest statements of faith, like the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, all the way up into the Reformation and in contemporary times. So far from being some aloof, esoteric theological question that has no significance, it seems to be a question about the very truth and the very worth of the Christian faith itself. The Apostle Paul writes elsewhere in 1 Corinthians the following about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Hear the word of God. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say, There is no resurrection of the dead. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith 
is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. When we put the teaching of Holy Scripture next to the teachings of some more liberal contemporary biblical scholars, we have to ask, who should we trust? The Scriptures or the scholars? But it's not just a question for scholarly researchers. This is a question that is being asked by regular folks who just have a vested interest in knowing if their religion is based on an illusion, a delusion, a sham, or an outright lie. It is of great interest to anyone who's ever lost a loved one. We want to know if we can trust the biblical witness that talks about Christ's defeat of death through his resurrection from the dead. For many of us, the idea that the resurrection represents a mere philosophy of life or a metaphorical picture does not deal with the fundamental question that all human beings must face. Did God give up on creation, which in Genesis 1.27 he called very good? Did he ditch it or did he die and rise for it? Did he leave his son to be eaten by a dog to provide a mythological fairy tale religion? Or did he defeat death through the death and resurrection of his son, the one who represents the firstborn of all creation? You know, in the winter of 2018, I received a really interesting response to an article I wrote on the bodily resurrection of Jesus. The person noted that they were dismayed at my advocacy for the historic view of the resurrection. They wrote that there's such a richness in the Easter story, it's really a pity to see such an influential leader offer not only a version so simplified that most of its spiritual power is simply hidden, but the person argued that the more productive way to read the Bible, contrary to the way that I read, was reading the Bible, is to search for the spiritual gems that it contains in metaphor or story. Quote, to look for what is hidden within and below the literal narrative, and to be rewarded with deep spiritual insight and ageless experience wisdom, end quote. I was really grateful to receive that response, and here was my response to that, which I think will be helpful for our discussion. I wrote, In concert with the overwhelming majority of biblical interpreters of the ages, in accordance with the historic creeds of the faith, I assert that the bodily, physical resurrection of Jesus Christ is an indispensable component of the one holy Catholic and apostolic faith. There is nothing rich about a dead, defeated Savior in a tomb apart from the victory and vindication of the resurrection. The good news of the gospel lies in the supernatural power of God to defeat death through the physical death and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. God's power is evidenced by the stone rolled away from the empty tomb, not under an ahistorical, imaginary, spiritual gem of our own creation. Still, many in the church remain confused about the centrality of the resurrection and confused about its theological significance. They'll sometimes attempt to reject my use of 1 Corinthians, arguing that the Gospels which contain the teachings of Jesus, are authoritative, but the letters of Paul are not. Truthfully, and I say it again, there is no contest between 
the Gospels and the Pauline epistles, between the Gospels and the rest of Holy Scripture. That coherence of Scripture, that idea that all of Scripture is God-breathed, is the consensus view of both Protestant and Catholic interpreters. But I, I got to be honest, I'm actually happy when people try to bring up, oh, I'll take Jesus but not Paul, and they want to throw out 1 Corinthians and only listen to Jesus in order to help undermine uh, theology of the resurrection. And here's why I'm happy. Jesus himself goes to great lengths in the Gospels to prove that he is not a ghost and that he was physically risen in a transformed body. I really like the way that Catholic biblical scholar Luke Timothy Johnson refers to the resurrection body of Jesus. He says it is both matter-of-fact and mysterious. That's a great way to put it. But don't take my word for it, okay? Take Jesus' word for it. Let's turn to Luke 24, verses 36 through 48. See what Jesus says. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them, and he said to them, Peace be with you. And let me just pause. This is after his resurrection from the dead. Verse 37. They were startled and terrified, and they thought they were seeing a ghost. And Jesus said to them, Why are you frightened? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. And then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then Jesus opened their mind to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Nevertheless, still, within the church, sometimes from the pulpit, the resurrection is often deconstructed. It's made into a metaphor for life. It's made to function as a generic version of the personal spiritual presence of God and our spiritual experience of the divine. And, you know, I think the reason this happens is that none of us can wrap our heads around the concept. It seems to defy everything that we know about reason to believe in the resurrection. But I would put this question to you. Why should the mind and ways and power of God be forced to submit to our intellectual capacity and imagination? Are we God? Why should the supernatural possibilities of the infinite God be forced to fit within the limitations of human logic and reasoning 
within the limitations that come with being a human being. Look, the New Testament is the most reliable text that we have from antiquity. Yet the New Testament gives us a reliable rendering of a, humanly speaking, irrational, illogical, ridiculous account of a crucified and resurrected God. Human reason alone, careful historical study alone, cannot convince us of the veracity of the resurrection. Nor can the use of reason or the study of history themselves result in our conversion to Christ. And this is because, according to human reason and structures of plausibility, both in antiquity and in contemporary times, resurrection is an implausible and unlikely solution to the problem of the empty tomb. It is supernatural. It is miraculous. It is unbelievable. Exactly. Exactly. According to the limitations of human reason, the resurrection is ridiculous. It is through the ridiculous of the resurrection that not only reason, but human life itself is recapitulated from death and decay to embodied everlasting life. The resurrection looks to be ridiculous when we look at it through human eyes. But through the eyes that come by the power of the Holy Spirit through faith, it becomes for us not only a true historical event, but that which we base our hope on. It is good news for us, and it is good news for this broken world. There is only one religion, one man, one God who has defeated death. That one is Jesus Christ. To him be the glory. And so this week, as you reflect on the resurrection and read through 1 Corinthians, think about how powerful and central the resurrection is. Through human eyes, it looks ridiculous. With the eyes of faith, it is the power of God unto salvation. This podcast was brought to you by Trinity College Queensland. Honest answers to tough questions. Visit trinity.qld.edu.au to learn more.